If you have Hebrews chapter 13. We have been in this membership series now for about uh, four, this will be the fifth week. We'll have one more, and then we go back to our wonderful book of Joshua, and we see more battles. So this book of Hebrews, we have kind of jumped around. Last week, we, we went a little bit long. This week, it won't be as long, I hope. And so my question to start us out with is how would you like to be part of something that lasts forever? I mean, how many of you are part of something that lasts for a little while? But how would you like to be part of something that will last forever, that doesn't have an end? And I mean it. I'm not just joking, but something that lasts for eternity. What do you do in this life that lasts forever? What about a job? Do you have a job that lasts forever? I mean, some people have built some magnificent cathedrals that have lasted a long, long time. In fact, I was, I was reading the other day about a cathedral that was planned by one man, was partly built by another man, and was finally completed by another man. Three generations building this one single building, not being able to see the end of it in their own lifetime. But that didn't last forever because it burnt down. So how does something that we do today last forever? In fact, our kids will grow up, won't they, unfortunately? And then they move on. And then their kids, and their kids. And we try to keep memories alive, don't we? Like I tell them about my, my dad all the time, and they know him by name, but they've never met him. So how do we keep something for eternity? What, what can we do that lasts for eternity? Well, I'm going to tell you the one thing that the Lord builds will last forever. When the Lord builds it, it lasts. And that's ultimately the church, which is the bride of Christ. So if you want to be involved in something that lasts forever, it means being part of the church universal. We talked about that a few weeks ago. But also being engaged in the church local the local church. Now, a local church probably won't last forever. We know times and seasons come, and seasons. Um, some seasons you see a church grow rapidly, and some seasons you see it decrease, and sometimes a church closes, and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's not because of a lack of faithfulness, but because of just time. Other times, it's because God has removed, or Christ has removed the lampstand, has removed them from the place. They have deteriorated into a synagogue of Satan, as the book in Revelation talks about. So when we think about the church, it's important, isn't it? Because Christ built it. So I want you to remember the key thing about the church. So we've, we've talked about the church in many ways. One of the things we said that church is a family. We've talked about how church is the bride of Christ. One of the things that comes from that concept then is that Christ is the head of the church. So if he is the head, if he is the one who inaugurated this association, think about that reality for a minute. How many of you know about this thing called Facebook? Okay, I think everybody does. Who started Facebook? Well, we think it's this guy named Mark Zuckerberg, right? And he started this thing, 
and he's been running with it for quite a while, and it's become a really big um, social changing area. But did you know that Facebook incorporates into their own? They'll buy them out, and those owners of those businesses will make something, sell it to Facebook, and then they'll close up shop and start another association. That's not what Christ does. Christ not only initiates the church, he remains the head of it for eternity. He doesn't just give us a bunch of stock that we can distribute as needed. He doesn't give us a deposit of grace that the church leaders hand out. But he continues to be with us, and he's in charge. So if Christ is the head of the church, he's in charge, he started it, we get to be a part of it. So if the church is the bride of Christ, and he is the head of the church, then he determines how the church is to go, right? Can we all be agreed on this? If Christ is in charge, he runs it. He tells us how to operate. And so if he tells us how to operate, we get to participate in this glorious reality. It's not my job to ensure a church is successful. I'm not here to make sure we have enough people in the pews and enough budgets. It's not the elder's job to do that. Our job is to be faithful to what the Word of God says and to preach it clearly and to teach it and to disciple, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's our marching orders. So, we also want to look at this concept of, of Christ as the head, that he established it, he rules it currently, but also he gave his life for the church. So if you think about the fact that Christ lived and died for the purpose of the church, why would we do anything less? So that's a hard question to ask. It's kind of hard-hitting a little bit, isn't it? For your local church, are you willing to live and die? I have uh, seen a recent movement of people saying things like, you need to move until you find a church that you can commit your life to, to put roots into, and then grow up in that congregation and build up the local body of, of Christ. And I like that movement a lot not because it gives job security, but because the church is important. And I think we have taken the idea of the concept of a church and we've run with it in many different directions, haven't we? We have seeker-friendly churches where the whole goal is to get people to come inside and to hear somebody speak to them. We have CEO-driven churches where it's about making money. How can we get a, maybe a business? And so the whole goal of the church is to have the best worship programs and the best um, holiday events, and the best facade on the outside, but inwardly they're dead. We have churches that are um, purpose-driven, and sometimes I think the purpose can get the wrong direction, and we forget about people. There was a, a recent expose on a man named Mark Driscoll who had a big church, and then it collapsed because of his character failings. And one of the things he has said is that this is a bus, and there's a whole bunch of bodies behind my bus. And so he was just saying, we're going to run over everybody who gets in our way. Is that how the church should operate? So we have all these ideas of church, and, and we've been really focusing in on church as a family. And we talked about the weirdness of family, right? Your pastor has some weird tics. Your pastor has some weird things. And, and it's kind of cute until the third year, and then it becomes his flaws. And that's one of the reasons why so many church or pastors leave a church after three years is because what was initially acceptable became unacceptable. 
But the major thing that really solidified my mind when it comes to church membership is accountability. Who are you accountable to for your spiritual health? Who am I to give an account for in the end time? That's what we're going to see today. So let's read what God's Word says. Hebrews chapter 13, we'll be starting in verse 17. In fact, that's the only verse we are going to study today. And it says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Now everybody's already getting uncomfortable. As those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. When we do these scripture passages, I I really highly recommend that you have a Bible in front of you. Keep it open to the text that we are studying, because if you close it up, put it to the side, and wait to hear what I have to say, you're going to get bored real quick. But we're talking about God's Word, and that's what we're studying. So let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, as we lift up this time of sermon, of preaching, of Your Word, that we would understand Your Word, and that we would obey Your Word, help me to explain it clearly in such a way that people would be motivated to do exactly what your word says. God, help us to be people of the book. Father, help us to grab onto that great tradition of Baptist life that says that we are a people of the word of God, that we want to have our churches aligned with your word, that we want to have our practices following after what God has said, that we would listen to thus saith the Lord that we would follow you. Father, be with us and guide us. Be with those that are sick, Lord. It seems like there are some um, illnesses going around, at least in my home and in Augie's home, and that he would uh, recover quickly. And anybody else who is uh, not feeling so well, you'd be with us and guide us today. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So as I was preparing for this message, two questions came about. When you read this verse, obey your leaders and submit to them as those since they keep a watch over your soul as those who will give an account so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Two questions come from this verse. The first is, who do members obey and submit to? That's the first question. Who? Who is it? Who is it that you are to obey and submit to? And it says, your leaders. The second question is, what people do leaders give an account for? As an elder, that's a really important question to be able to answer. Who am I to give an account for? If you are a member of a church, it seems pretty cut and dry. But if you as a Christian are to give, are to obey and submit to your leaders, who are your leaders? Is it every church that you ever visit? Is it every sermon you ever listen to on the radio or on the TV? Who is your particular leader? That's the question. Another word for leader here is actually ruler, is the, is the Greek term. But leader catches the, the nuance. The second thing is, who do I give an account for? Is it everybody who walks in our church? Is it everyone who knocks on the door and says, could you give me some money for my rent? Who do I have to give an account for, for their soul? Is it anyone who listens to us on the internet? Who do I give an account for? Who do me and the elders, when we sit together and we work about the business of the church, do we give an account for? These are important questions, aren't they? I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but this is what really caused me to believe in church membership, in church membership mattering. 
and why we need to do it. <clears throat> so let's go ahead and study this. The first thing we do to answer this question is to look at church members must follow their church leaders. And as we look at this very first part, obey your leaders and submit to them, we see that there are two things that a member must do. The first thing is obey. The second thing is submit. So what does obey mean? Well, it means to continue in obedience. It means a habit. It's not a one-time thing like Pastor Matt said, hey, could someone look for toilet paper in the bathroom? And then one person runs off and does it, and then you never listen to me again. No, it's a, a habitual obedience. <clears throat> it means that you follow your leader. It's another way, I think there's another translation out there that says, follow your leader, which we know is like a song for kids, right? We're following the leader. Okay, I'm not going to sing anymore. All right, but make a habit to obey. So does that mean that you obey everything I say? What if I said everybody stand up, jump on one leg, and then squawk like a duck? Is that something that you should really obey? Well, we're going to get to that. The second word is submit. And this is a very specific word. It means follow their functional authority. It means to yield or give way. These are two words that modern ears don't like, isn't it? Obey and submit. We are born of the revolution we do not like people taxing us without representation. We are fighters. In fact, Arizona is a wilderness country, right? And we, we staked our claims and we fought for our, our freedom here in this state. Well, some of us have. Some of us are still seven generations removed, right? But that's our, our ethos. That's who we are as a people. We do not like to obey or submit. And that's what we're being told to do here. How do we do that? Let's go ahead and deal with the how. How do we obey or submit? Well, first off, it's Christ that enables the obedience. Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection, is the only way that a Christian can start to follow the commands of the Lord. If you are not a Christian, if you do not know Jesus, if you do not have a relationship that's drawn along by this love for Christ, you are not going to be obedient. You will have zero desire to obey the word of God. In fact, we see here that uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Like white knuckled holding on to the steering wheel until we make it, or we fake it till we make it. But it's a love of Jesus that we want to do what's best. And what we see in God's word is what's best for us. So the first thing we see is, how do we be obedient? Well, it's through Christ. It's not through any other means. It's not because I'm a likable guy and everything that I say just sounds right. It's not because of my feelings or my emotions like, oh yeah, I will, I will listen to the elders because I feel like it. No, obedience is objective. There's a tangible part to it. In fact, the Christian that answers to Christ alone will have his desire to be obedient and submissive. And that's where it comes from. So, who are your spiritual leaders? Now, this just says leaders. Did you notice that? I added a word. That should cause you to, to pump the brakes for a second. Why did Pastor Matt say spiritual leaders? You should question this. So, in verse 7, it says, Remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you, and as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives 
imitate their faith. So this is one long section talking about the spiritual leaders. Obviously, Nero is not preaching God's word to them. It's their spiritual leader. So one, one answer is there. Who is your leader? Well, it's your spiritual leaders. So now we know it's not just the government. It's not just your boss at work, but it's your spiritual leader. So that's the first person we are to obey, your spiritual leaders. So this gives us implications. Who is your leader? Well, it's a spiritual leader. So obviously now it's someone to do in the spiritual side of things. If you are not the member or a member of a local church body, who must you follow? That's really what we want to get to the bottom of. Who do you follow? When it says follow your leaders, who is your leader? If you do not have a church family, who leads the home? Is it whoever you listened to last on the radio? Is it wherever you went to church last, that's going to be your leader? Is it the one that you're visiting right now but have no, no commitment to? You need to have a commitment to a local church in order to have a leader that you are commanded to follow. Which then some people will think, well, that's a loophole. I just won't be a member anywhere, and I don't have to obey anybody. But you see, the reason that this is laid out in Scripture is for our own good. And so, who is your spiritual leader? Well, in our church, if you are a member of our church, it's the elders. The elders make the spiritual decisions and a lot of the physical decisions of the church body. Those are the ones that God has called to the purpose of being elders. God has called pastors particularly for the preaching of the word and the teaching of the word. And so these are people that God has brought into a church to lead. Just like in a home, you have a mom and a dad. Those are the, the leaders of your home. And the dad, of course, we know from Scripture, from Ephesians, that his role is to lead. Servant leadership, like Christ died for the church. So, who is your leader? Is it all leaders? Is it any spiritual guy that goes up on the, on the TV? Is it um, Franklin Graham? Is he your spiritual leader that you must obey and submit to? Is it um, the, the current president of the, of the United States? So how do, you, how do you determine who your leader is? Well, it's real simple if you're a member of a church, isn't it? If you have membership in a local church, it's really clear. These are your parents. These are the ones that we are to submit to and obey. We know that Christ enables obedience, and genuine love for Christ shows itself as obedience. Now, the real question. Obedience to church leaders extends how far? If I said, okay, I want everyone to bring me their, their checkbook and their budget, and I want to examine it and to tell you how to spend your money, would that be spiritual overreach? What about if I said, listen, I'm going to determine every part of your life. I want to see how you do business. And then I tell you, in fact, I saw on the internet the other day, I know internet's not reliable. Someone on there said, you, if your pastor doesn't tell you how to run your life, then he shouldn't be your pastor. And I started thinking about that. So like, do I want everyone in our congregation to come talk to me before they make a phone call? Before they date that person? Before they spank their kid or raise their kid a certain way? Do I want every phone call from my congregation? No, of course not. That's too far. That's over, over, um, overreach. 
So what is obedience to church leaders? It extends only so far as they are doing what Christ commands. This is important. So what is it? Well, it means that you are obedient to the word of God that I preach and teach. When the elders say, listen, God's word says we do it this way, you don't look at them and say, no, I'm going to do it my way. Right? You can say, well, I don't know, I don't understand that, or that doesn't make any sense biblically, and then you can have a discussion. But ultimately, you follow God's word, and so the leaders are only leaders as far as they follow God's word. So if I was to start doing some overreach and saying, no, I want to I approve every future boyfriend that you ever date, or every future um, girlfriend, that would be overreach, wouldn't it? Now, if I said, listen, that, that person's an unbeliever, you are, you are dating a non-believer, that's not a good place for you to be. It's dangerous. In fact, you need to stop. That would be something you should consider because it comes from where? From scriptures. That's right. So we do this based on God's word. Obedience is only so far as it is on God's word. And you can only obey and submit to your leaders if you know who they are. If you follow the leader, you need to know who they are. And that's why choosing a pastor and elders in a church body is so important because you don't want people who are going to get power hungry and try to depart from God's word. There's a, a system. What happens if you have an issue with an elder in the church? Well, that's what we're going to talk about next week, church discipline. But one of the things that you do is you talk to that elder directly. Then you bring a witness and you do it with two people. And then the elder board examines the charge. So let's say that you see an elder, he's going out on dates with some other lady that's not his wife. When you see that happening, what's the first thing you do? You go talk to him and be like, hey, I just saw you at Applebee's with this, this lady. What's the deal? What are you doing? And he could be like, oh, well, that's my sister. And you do a little, you, you talk to him and you find out, I guess it was his sister. Oh my goodness, I was wrong. My bad. Or he says, well, yeah, it's, it's somebody that I know. And then he starts hemming and hawing. Well, then you bring another witness. The elders do an investigation. And then they remove that person as an elder, right? It's, it's very simple. There's a process. So obedience can be healthy and it can be unhealthy, can't it? One of the ways that you can be obedient and submit to your leadership is by being prepared to receive the word of God. Did you know that? One method of your obedience is to pay attention to God's Word. You know, it takes me several hours, and I, I'm not saying this to brag, but it takes me anywhere from 8 to 20 hours to prepare a message for one day. That's a lot of time spent studying the text, and if it's in the Greek, I'll translate it from the original languages. If it's in the Old Testament, I try to look at I'm not as good with my Hebrew, so I, I do a little more um, resources to help me understand it. And I really study the background of this text, and it takes a long time. Most of us come to Sunday church with 17 other things on our minds, don't we? And so you miss a good portion of the meal when you are thinking about, did I leave the stove on? Did I bring the right shoes today? What is my sister in New Jersey doing? Right? We start thinking about other things. So focusing your mind. Some people can take notes. That's a great way to focus your mind. Some people cannot take notes. In fact, it's easier for them just to sit and listen. But you prepare yourself. The second way you prepare yourself is spiritually. So not only do you physically prepare, you get a good night's sleep, you get ready, you have everything prepared ahead of time,
but you have a mental preparation. So Saturday night is a Sunday church is a Saturday night decision, as someone said. So what you do is you plan on Saturday. You maybe maybe read this passage ahead of time and figure out what is the pastor going to talk about. And you can even sketch your own outline and see if you're right. And you prepare yourself to listen. So you participate. You show up. Showing up is a big way that you can show obedience and submission to following your leaders, your rulers. So as a member of a local church, you've got to be committed to following your local church appointed leaders. And part of that is obeying God's word. When the pastor says something and you're like, that is true, but then you feel that little tinge of like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing it right. What do you do? Push it aside and say, well, I'm just going to go have some barbecue. That'll drown out my sorrows. Or do you confess it and repent of it and turn from your wickedness? So if I say something to you and I say, if you are doing this, you need to repent. It's wrong. It's sinful. And you look at me and you're like, eh, maybe not. And then you go on your business. That's disobeying God's word. That's not obeying and submitting to God's word and to your leaders. So always check what your leaders have to say by God's word. That means you have to be knowledgeable in God's word. If I start saying some stuff that sounds odd, that's, that's a cue for you to either do more research or to call me, and I will talk you through my thought process. Right. So you obey God and you obey the leaders and submitting to the, to the, to the leaders by being prepared spiritually, physically, um, and considering what is said by the leader. But submission really means you're putting your own preferences aside, knowing that their role authority is grounded in the word. So there is some general trust that you offer right off the bat, right? Just because I'm standing up here with a Bible, I'm saying stuff to you, there's a general level of trust already. You're spending your Sunday morning listening to me. However, that trust can be easily broken when you see a lifestyle that's counter to what I'm saying, right? That's a, that's a big reason why so many pastors get fired for character. Not only is that like the sole criteria for leadership in the church is character, but it's also important because if I'm not practicing what I'm preaching, then why would you bother listening to me? The second reason that you should do this, you should, or the first, really it's the first reason you should obey your leaders, is because they watch over your soul. Look at our passage. It says, obey your leaders, submit to them, since they keep watch over your souls. Now, if we didn't go to verse 7, we would say this is another reason why this is a spiritual form of leadership. Leaders have particular responsibilities so just like members must obey and submit, leaders have responsibilities as well. So first, obviously, we see it's church leaders. Second is because they keep watch. They have a wakefulness or a, a vigilance. This is used in the New Testament and the Old Testament. This term, watch over, or being a watchman or watch person. So Ephesians 6.18 says, Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert, or keep watch, with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. This has a physical watchfulness too. Do you know that pastors lose sleep over their members? Did you know that sometimes they get a phone call that troubles them into the wee hours of the morning? Or they wake up in the middle of the night and have someone on their mind that they really 
feel like they need to reach out to. Did you know that? This is a, a common thing for pastors. So not only do pastors and leaders and elders, not only do they keep watch spiritually by making sure that no wolves sneak in and, and try to take away the saints, but they also have a physical response. In, in counseling different ones of you, I have the responsibility of praying for you and caring about you. And so that's why you are to listen to follow your leaders. It's also like a picture, like a shepherd watching their sheep. In fact, Thomas Aquinas, when he talks about this passage, he uses a, the nativity of the shepherds from Luke 2, verse 8. They were watching over their sheep, and he uses that and connects it to what this is going on here. In the Old Testament, Ezekiel says it like this, Son of man, I have made you a watchman over the house of Israel. When you hear a word from my mouth, give them a warning from me. So part of my job as a pastor is as I am preparing my sermons, if there's something in there that I think I want to skip, I cannot skip it. I have to give you all the warnings of Scripture, and I have to give you all the admonishments and all the correctives and all the good. The whole counsel of God is what the leader is to do. And I would be negligent, I'll be, I'll be guilty of pastoral malpractice if I found a passage and I did not preach it to you as clearly as I could. And so be aware that there are going to be passages that are going to step on your toes. There are going to be passages that you're like, did he just find a passage to, to preach at me directly? That's not the case because we're preaching through books of the Bible normally. So just be aware that I have to preach what God has shown me, and I have to do it exactly as it says. The second reason members must obey is because leaders give an account. This is a, a pretty fearsome responsibility. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. Strict judgment is what happens to the person who teaches and leads in a congregation. Do you think that's something that we should take lightly? Do you think that this is something that I should want? That I get to face more judgment because I say words up here? Think about that for a minute. Next time you think, man, I really wish I could be the pastor and talk to everybody for 30 minutes to an hour. Those words that I say all are going to be given an account at the end of days. It means that... Uh, I get more knowledge of God's Word, which means it's my responsibility now to deliver it clearly and more, and be more obedient to it myself. I can't come up here and preach about lying and stealing and adultery and go and do the same things myself, can I? Because there's a stricter judgment, because I already know what the truth says. So he gives us a purpose statement here. So he says they will give an account... And then he says, so that. So whenever you see the word so that, you know there's a purpose. There's a reason. So there's a reason why you are to obey and why pastors are to, or leaders are to, uh, or will give an account. So that they can do this with joy. The reason that your obedience is so important is because it helps a pastor or elder do this with joy. Did you realize that? Joy and not grief. Being a pastor is, is a difficult job. Um, full disclosure, it may be harder than some jobs, but I know it's not harder than others because being in the military was very tough. 
but it is a hard job. In fact, I got some statistics for you because everybody loves statistics. Pre-COVID-19, 72% of pastors report working between 55 to 75 hours per week. 84% of pastors feel they are on call 24-7. 80% believe pastoral ministry has negatively affected their families. Many pastors' children do not attend church now because of what the church has done to their parents. 65% of pastors feel their family lives in a glass house and fear that they are not good enough to meet expectations. 23% of pastors report being distant to their family. 78% of pastors report having their vacation and personal time interrupted with ministry duties or expectations. 65% of pastors feel they have not taken enough vacation time with their family over the last five years. 28% of pastors report having feelings of guilt for taking personal time off and not telling the church, which they should feel guilt. 35% of pastors report the demands of the church denies them from spending time with their family. 24% of pastors' families resent the church and its effect on their family. 22% of pastors' spouses report the ministry places undue expectations on their family. 66% of church members expect a minister and family to live at a higher moral standard than they themselves. One, this is important, one out of 10 pastors will actually retire as a pastor. One out of 10. That's a pretty small margin, isn't it? One out of 10. So they go into seminary, they get all this education. I mean, you have four years of undergrad and three to four years of seminary. You come in expecting to be a pastor, and then after a few years, you, you go do something else. What, what is it about being a pastor that is so difficult? I don't want, this, I don't want you guys to feel sorry for me because I don't feel sorry. In fact, I have a, one of the best congregations um, of any pastor that I know of. And I have such loving, caring people that I'm, I, have, I have joy when I serve you people. But there are some people that cause grief, don't they? And it's not because you have an issue that you need help with. It's an issue because when I say, hey, this is the solution. God's word says, don't sleep with your person before you marry them. And you go, well, I'm going to do what I want anyway. It hurts because you see the damage that they're going to do. In fact, marriage doesn't end up happening properly. Or I say, hey, listen, why don't you use a little bit of wisdom here? And they look at me and they say, well, I'm going to lie about this anyway. <laughs> it hurts. There's grief. So what do leaders give an account for? So this is my, this is the, my conundrum. Do I give an account for every person in Sierra Vista? Is that my purview as a pastor? Do I give an account to everybody in this neighborhood, maybe? This zip code? Do I give an account to every person who walks in the doors of the church? So every single person who walks in this church, I have to give an account. What about the person who snuck in halfway through the service and then bounced out halfway through the service? That, that happened recently. Do I have to like track them down? Do like CSI investigations, take pictures of their faces and get you know biometric data? How do I give an account for people? What about the person who comes a couple, a couple weeks and then doesn't come back? Do I have to track them down and find out if they're in another church? So what is my responsibility as a leader and, our, and the elders included in this? What is our, who do we give account for? What about the person who comes as a regular attender for years? Do I give an account for their soul? So this is why we do membership. 
It's not because membership is like commanded in the Bible that you have to do it this way, but because membership is a mechanism, a vehicle that in, in or, it allows us as pastors and leaders and you as members to know where you belong in the family of God. It's very simple. It's so easy a caveman can do it, right? It's simple, but there's complications. Some people cannot become members. There's reasons for that, and I get it. I completely understand why, and we work with that as well. But the essence is, if you are able to be a member of a local body of believers because you are part of that family, that allows you to know who your leaders are, and that allows you as a leader to know who your members are. And that's the, and that's the, the bottom line. That's why we have particular roles. Acts 2, 44 through 45, I'm going to go through this real quite fast. It says, Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. How do you think they determined who had a need? Did they just assume? Or did they have particular roles? Or what about 1 Timothy 5, 9? No widow is to be enrolled on the list for support, unless she is at least 60 years old, has been the wife of one husband. The early church had a list, at least of the widows, bare minimum. Acts 1.15, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of the people who were together was about 120 and said, so somebody's doing the counting. They had letters of recommendation from one church to the next. That means that they knew who their members were. They didn't have a, uh, a guess. It wasn't just based on people's bottoms in the pews, which they didn't have pews, we know, but people's bottoms on the ground. They didn't just have a number out there. They actually knew the people. Acts 18, 27, when he wanted to cross over to Achaia, the brothers and sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. They wrote a letter. They said, we know John Smith. It wasn't John Smith. It was probably, you know, Zacharias, somebody. But we know John Smith. And that was a, a recognition that this person was a member in good standing at their local church, and they moved to a new place. Very simple. 2 Corinthians 3.1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Once again, the letter of recommendation from one church to another. Pastors and elders are required to care for uh, or be shepherds of a particular people. 1 Peter 5, 1-2 I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not the whole flock of the, of the world. A particular flock. Not overseeing out of compulsion but willingly as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly. I heard a joke, and that's why I got hesitated for a minute. Somebody said, I just saw a flock of cows. And the guy next to him says, cows are a herd. Or have you heard of a cow? Or a herd? No, he said, a herd of cows. And the guy said, yeah, they go moo. All right, it's, it's probably more funny in the, in the comic. All right, is it profitable? Why is it that you need to be obedient and submit to your leaders? Because it's profitable. A member should follow their particular leader because it 
profits them. It profits you. Causing your elders grief instead of joy stunts the ministry. How many pastors who have grief from their congregation could have, if they had joy, been more beneficial in the long run? Imagine the, the turnover rate in most ministries. Two to three years is the average turnover rate for most pastors. Most pastors will not stay at a church for more than two to three years. And then five years is like the other milestone. Why is that? There could be lots of things. It could be the pastor's kind of garbage and only knows a two years' worth of sermons, right? And so he gets tired and he has to go to a new church to preach his two years' worth of sermons. But a lot of it is conflict in the congregation. So what do members obey and submit to? We already know. They submit to a particular set of leaders. What do leaders give an account for? A particular set of people. Church members must follow their church leaders because they watch over your soul, they give an account, and it is profitable. The longer that I stay here at Sierra Vista Baptist Church and preach and teach to you guys, the deeper my ministry is going to be because I'm going to know you personally. I'm going to know you relationally. I'm going to be able to talk more specifically to your your personal issues from the Word of God. And you will know me, and you will see my life and the outcome of my life. Does I, do I practice what I preach? It's easy to hide something for two years, isn't it? Maybe even three years, four years. But after five years, you're going to know all my warts. You're going to know all my deficiencies. You're going to know that I cannot sing, right? You know that I cannot lead worship well. You're going to know my faults. And this is the good thing for a family, isn't it? When you first married your spouse, did you know everything that you needed to know about that, that person? Or did slowly over time, skeletons come out of the closet? Budgets started coming out. You started seeing that they might live like a slob. I was not complaining, but I was in my bed this morning, and I heard my wife vacuuming early in the morning. And I, was, I, I wanted to complain. But then I said, you know what? What if she didn't vacuum? What if she didn't like the house to be clean? Can you imagine what we would be living in? So instead, I, I thanked her for her hard work and you know, gave her a nice kiss and, and said thank you. But think about that next time you have an argument with your spouse. It could be worse, right? So membership is just a mechanism or a vehicle that allows you to be biblical, biblically faithful. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole point of this series is membership is a vehicle to allow you to be member uh, to be biblically faithful. That's it. That's the command. That's the reason why we do it. It's not a thou must be a member of thine local church. That's not in the Bible. But it is by implication in Scripture. And I have solidified my, my thinking on this of the necessity and the importance of local membership. So this is your challenge this week to consider how being a believer in Jesus Christ intersects with church membership. So if you know Jesus Christ, if you are a member of the big body of Christ, how does it intersect with being in a local church? That is your mission. If you do not know Jesus Christ, don't hesitate to come talk to me or one of the elders. We would love to have that conversation and how your life can be transformed through this. But ultimately, consider what is being a believer in Jesus Christ, and how does that intersect with being a church member of a local body of believers? All right, let's go ahead and close in prayer. 
Father, your word is so rich and powerful. It has so much information in it about every subject that we could possibly want to know. Lord, as we consider this church membership concept, as we consider that meaningful church membership matters, and we look at what accountability looks like, Father, we thank you that you have not remained silent, but that you have shown us a way forward, a way for leaders to have joy and not grief and be able to know exactly who the flock that they are responsible for. We thank you for members having an understanding of who their leaders are that they can follow. God, be with us. Give us guidance as we go this day. Lord, be with our people that they would love you more, that they would reach their neighbors, that they would praise you and celebrate you all the more through this time. And all these things we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.